Well, good morning. So good to see you all once again. And um, I am grateful that you uh, have me back uh, once again. Uh, Pastor Peter reminded me that folks only invite you back for one of two reasons. Either one, you did a halfway decent job the first time, or two, they invited you to try it again. <laughs> See if you can get it right this time. So I pray that I can get it right this time. I'm glad that my lovely wife uh, joins us here as well in worship and uh, uh, once again, Peter, welcome back. We're grateful for you and your ministry and uh, even more personally, all that you mean for me. Uh, you've been a great friend over these many years and um, I'm grateful to be able to share once again here in this house. I had a good time last time, actually, y'all. Good to see you again. Are y'all gonna be this quiet again? Like this. And, and I noticed that God must only bless the last 10 rows. Because uh, it's, uh, it's like that in every church I've ever been in. Uh, but we praise God for his presence here among us. I want to lift up um, a word from John 13 on this morning as you continue in your theme of the love of God. And I want to begin reading verse number one, John 13. Thank you all who have been praying for me as well. I do covet uh, those prayers. Uh, preaching is a lot like those who are in the medical profession. They practice medicine. And so I've spent my life uh, practicing proclamation. And uh, it's always humbling to be able to stand before you. John 13, beginning with verse number one. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, 
for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. Would you all pray with me? God, we are indeed grateful that once again you allow us to gather together on this Lord's Day. Thank you for the many and countless ways that you have kept us all the days of our lives. And Lord, you prove your love for us that once again you choose to be with us. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity of worship and now to hear a word from you. And so God, as always, when I stand for you, I confess that I belong to you. And because I'm yours, I'm available to you. Lord, would you speak through me the words your people need to hear and do it all for your glory. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. You are our strength. You are our redeemer. For we pray this now in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. All right, y'all gonna help me today? Just nudge somebody, tell them just do it. All right, let's try this side. Just <laughs> nudge somebody, tell them just do it. What a wonderful passage of um, scripture, and I think in many ways captures the essence of what is the heart of God towards us. And more than that, what I believe the Lord desires from us as we tread this life's journey. Many years ago, South Carolina attorney, Marion Wright Edelman, also founder of the Children's Defense Fund and recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, once had a quote that stands out and it's a quote that I hold dear over these many years. She remarked once that service is the rent that we pay for being. It is the very purpose of life and not something you do in your spare time. I hold on to that quote because it moves me and inspires me to make sure that everything that I do, every place that I go, has got to be about manifesting all that the Lord has done in me that the Lord might work through me. And it comes down to how we serve one another. In fact, rooted in our very identity and necessary, I maintain, for our full humanity is this gift of service. This gift of service moves us into territory that I believe allows God to do great things through our lives more than simply carrying a bag of groceries for a senior citizen at the grocery store, more than tutoring at the local elementary school, more than giving out food at a community shelter once or twice a year. God shows us that it's in our acts of service that we learn not only how to live, 
but how God desires to live through us. When we serve, we stand in that place where God is able to work. I think what God is showing us in this text and in other texts is that God wants us to serve one another because it's in that that we see how Christ himself lived when he was among us. I think God wants to tell us that serving one another gets us closer to the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17 that we might be one. It's, it's in the act of coming together but serving one another that we demonstrate and even commemorate this oneness that the Lord prays for. We, beloved, are the hands, we are the feet, we are the mouthpieces of Almighty God. And to the degree that we avail ourselves to all that God wants to do in and through us, I really do believe that we make this world a better place. So if I can reach back to the late 80s and that great Nike slogan that you resisted saying to one another, just do it. We're talking about serving, just do it. That's what I believe God would have us to be about. And, and not just do it, but how about we go all in? We give it everything that we have. How about we allow God to take us as far as God desires to take us in our relationships with one another? Just do it. You know, love has been known and communicated in different ways. Some would say love is when you give. Love is when you care. Love is when you advocate. Love is when you forgive. Love is when you forbear. Love is when you bless. Love is when you supply. Love is when you nourish. Love is when you lift. Love is when you guide. Love is when you encourage. Love is when you protect. Love is when you accompany. Love is all of these things. But perhaps among the greatest of the synonyms for love, according to Jesus' example in this text, is serve. To love is to serve. There is something of God working in and through us when we devote our lives to making someone else's life better, when we serve. Sometimes I think we miss it. Sometimes I think we get so wrapped up in our ordinary everyday lives that we miss the point of it all. Sometimes even in what we call acts of service aren't really service at all, but we're really just puffing ourselves up and doing ourselves good. But truly serving means doing the good thing, doing the right thing with the right motivation because we truly do believe that it's God himself that is working through us. Love is not sentimentality, but we ought to feel something when we're serving our neighbor. Love is not simply intellectual assent, though it ought to be thoughtful when we serve our neighbor. And let me add that if the God kind of love, this agape, is acting for the best of the other, then we have to recognize that the opposite of love is not hate. No, the opposite of love is self-centeredness. 
Let me say that again. The opposite of love is self-centeredness. In fact, I think the root of all human sinfulness can be boiled down to our capacity to place ourselves above others. When the Lord said, you ought to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, there was something in the mix of that phrase that calls us out of ourselves for the sake of the one that God puts before us. When the Lord said in those commandments that I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me, I think we miss it because we often put ourselves in the God seat and we make our entire lives about us and not about God at all. Self-centeredness. Individuals can be self-centered. Groups can be self-centered. Churches can be self-centered. Countries can be self-centered, self-absorbed, self-consumed. But service is, I believe, the antidote to our fractured community. When we have the nerve, the audacity, the unmitigated gall to serve the ones that God places in our pathways, we come to a place where we truly do prove that God is alive on the inside of us. Jesus shows us what love truly looks like as he serves those whom he's closest to. God calls us to serve. Back in July, we sunsetted our congregation. After 12 years of ministry, and over the course of that ministry, I had been bi-occupational, and so I always had two or three things going at the same time, but we decided that God was calling us to something beyond that congregation. When we closed the congregation, of course, my wife and I were seeking God's guidance as to what to do. And lo and behold, I had developed the kind of relationships around the city of Columbus where I really believe God was calling me to pour into the ministry of others rather than simply pouring into the one that I had been charged to lead. And since that time, I've had many congregations and leaders that the Lord has put me in direct contact with to pour into. And one of those ministries is a downtown urban ministry. Half of the congregation is homeless. A quarter of the population is living below the poverty line. And the rest of the congregation drives in from all over the city. And you would look at this congregation, and for all intents and purposes, they really have nothing at all going for them except the people. <laughs> On the surface of our capitalistic culture, this congregation that doesn't really have much in the way of material means, yet they are so wealthy because what they do offer is themselves. I was sitting in worship service with them and I was watching with fascination how they served one another and how they loved one another. And it occurred to me that old quote that says, being poor is not when you don't have any money. Being poor is when all you have is money. You'll catch that when you get home. 
But I watch them serve and give themselves for one another, operating according to God's economy of abundance, which is not so much about what I have, but it's more about who I am that I give to you. That's what's going on in this text. Jesus is giving himself for the other. In this text, there's an obvious allusion to the sacrament of baptism as we talk about the washing of the water. And the punchline of this text is simply that God wants to bring others into the community and in closer proximity with one another. And that's how you build relationship. That's how you build togetherness. We have to learn how to get over ourselves for the sake of of the other. So I read this text and I, I wondered what then does real love require? If God is calling us to serve, as God, if God is calling us to give of ourselves as we love, what exactly does that demand of me? Three things and then I'm going back to Columbus. First thing I need to drop on you is that real love requires extended communication. I love how this text flows, and I appreciate how John tells and narrates the story because he says in verse 1, and, and often this is easily overlooked and disregarded, but he says these words, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until the end. Even before we get to the foot washing, even before we get to what's happening around the table, John reminds us that all of this comes from a posture of Jesus loving them. The very act of washing the disciples' feet didn't begin with the act itself. Rather, it began from a deep place of deep relationality, of deep love, for these disciples that he had committed himself to the end. Let me say it this way. You know that love is the precondition to service. You can't tell me you love somebody if you're not willing to serve them and true service is not divorced or separated from authentic love. I maintain that if you can't serve, you probably don't love. It's a very hard line, isn't it? How can you say you love God whom you've never seen when you don't love your brother or your sister whom you see every day? The fruit of Jesus' service was connected to the truth of his love. This love was the starting place. And whenever we talk about serving, we have to make sure that behind it all, the motivation and the inspiration is rooted and grounded and anchored in a sincere sense of love for the other. This act was the logical and spiritual extension of God's love communicated way before this. It was God's love in action that was now being made manifest. I'll say it this way. 
John 3.16 is now further expressed and communicated in John 13. As God loved the world and gave his only begotten son, now we find the son actually communicating and expressing what that really means. True love through service is sustained over the long haul. Wherever it takes you, whatever it requires, just as Jesus extends the communication of God's love in this very simple act, so do we communicate and extend the love of God in how we serve our neighbor. Let me be clear. Service does not start with our good intentions, but with an authentic love for those whom we choose to serve. It's extended communication. Y'all still with me? Second thing. Love requires, love demands extraordinary perception. As you read through these verses, pay attention to verses 2, 3, and 11. We find that Jesus is very much aware of who he's with. He's very much aware of what's going on right around him. But more than that, he's very aware of what's happening on the eternal landscape, even beyond what's happening in the immediate. I find it very interesting that in one of these most intimate and loving scenarios, Jesus is there and he refers to the betrayal of Judas Never mind the fact that I'm sure on his mind was the fact that all of the disciples would deny him and desert him eventually. He knows this is going to happen. He predicts how they will turn their backs on him, and yet, in this moment, he serves them. There's greater purpose at work than what was in the forefront of his consciousness. And I think it's a clue for us that any time we endeavor to serve, yes, we take into account the people that are around us, the circumstances that are around us, but we ought never forget that everything we do now is connected to something greater that's happening in the fuller scheme of things. There is a greater purpose at work which ought to make it possible for us to serve because we understand where all of this is leading. Love requires extraordinary perception of what's around us and what is to come so that we might truly serve. We serve because we understand the outcome of all that God desires to accomplish through how we serve. So... It's almost as though service takes on the added dimension of the long game. We're not just playing for right now, we're playing for keeps. And what does this mean as we progress forward? It's, it's so easy to be consumed with the present moment that we miss the bigger picture of what God is going to do. Some 25 years ago, as I thought about going to seminary. At that time, I was a police officer, and, and I had a lot of interesting moments even through that ordeal. But 
I said, okay, I'm going to go study. I'm going to go and try to become a pastor. I'm going to go and I'm going to preach, but I need to prepare myself, which means I'm going to be living in my head most of the time. So I said, you know what? I need a hobby. I need something I can do with my hands while God is working on my head and my heart. So I took up woodworking and leatherworking, and I began to work with my hands all those years ago. And to this day, I still gravitate towards my basement. My wife calls it my dungeon. And I go down there with all my power tools and all my instruments and all the things that I use to work with, and, and I go to work on various projects. A couple nights ago, I was down in the basement and working on a new project, and it required that I had to sew some leather together, and it took me a couple hours to sew this one piece. And I looked at my hands. In fact, I still have the blisters on my hands now as I was going through this process of making this object. And I thought to myself, wow, I love this. Never mind the blisters. Never mind the ways that I'm having to use muscles that I don't use in ordinary everyday life. I love this. But even more, I love what this will be when I'm done. And so I do what it takes when I'm in that basement. I give the strength that it requires while I'm in that basement. And all the while, I'm not just thinking about what I'm working with in the moment, but I'm thinking about what this will be and all this can be when I'm finished. When you endeavor to serve it's not just about the present moment. And although sometimes you may have blisters and calluses of putting up with some extra grace required people. But even there, God says, serve, because I'm doing something even beyond this present moment. Love always reaches for the eternal as we make our way through the right now. And I'm here to tell you that everything that we give is absolutely worth it because we see what God is able to accomplish. So, real love requires extended communication. Real love requires extraordinary perception. But where I want to leave you is that real love requires excessive demonstration. The balance of this text paints the picture of the Savior of the world metaphorically taking off his garments of glory and revealing the glory of God in one of the most radical ways that we can imagine. He unrobes, he stoops down, he takes up a towel and a basin filled with water, and he serves those whom he loves. Now, you've got to understand, what Jesus is doing in this moment is, is very visceral. It's very real. It's very earthy. When you consider that he is willing to bow down 
and to put in his hands the feet of these disciples after they have been walking through dust and dirt and dung. And here he is, the Savior of the world, doing what was necessary in this moment. That's excessive. Jesus, I think, went a little bit overboard. He didn't have to do this, but he got to do this. You ever think about your service is not what you have to do, but it's what you get to do in order to bless somebody else. This was what I call lavish servitude. He serves and gives and blesses and offers himself in the most menial of tasks, but it was so wealthy and pregnant with God's favor that it made all the difference in the world. The great Scottish theologian and Bible scholar William Barclay once wrote, the world is full of people who are standing on their dignity when they ought to be kneeling at the feet of their brothers and their sisters. And in this blatant expression of extreme humility, some might argue that it didn't take all of that. No, you're right, it didn't take all that. But what a blessing that it was. You know, I know love when I see it. Love looks like me getting out of my own way as I bow down in the way of Jesus to make someone else's life better. It looks like the selfless acts of service filled with compassion, filled with grace, filled with mercy, filled with power, filled with generosity, filled with surrender as I lay it all down at my brother's feet, at my sister's feet. I'm laying it all down at God's feet. Love looks like that excessive demonstration of what God has first and already done for us. And so as we give, we are declaring all that God has given. Anybody besides me know that God has given you more than you deserve? And then some. How much more then should we serve? And so I conclude here as I read again the words of the 17th verse in this scripture. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Just do it. It's that simple. Just do it. Would you pray with me? Father, we are indeed grateful for you truly have looked upon us with favor. You have given so much. Ultimately, in the gift of your Son and ultimately, Jesus, in you giving your life. Thank you. 
God, would you give us hearts of love that we might serve in Jesus' name. Amen.